We begin this morning with hopeful news. The Writers Guild and Hollywood Studios have reportedly struck a deal which will bring an end to the Writers Guild strike. Supposedly, the WGA, that's the Writers Guild of America, has been staging their walkout for 143 days, while SAG-AFTRA, that's the Actors Union, has been walking their picket lines for 70 days. CNBC is reporting early Monday morning that the Writers Guild and the major Hollywood studios have some sort of new deal in place that will be finalized later today. So far, no word as to what deal, if any, SAG-AFTRA has made with the studios. But again, it looks like the Writers Guild strike, which many were predicting would last into 2024, might be coming to an end today. Deadline reports that negotiations on Wednesday were incredibly productive, and it brought all the major players to the bargaining table, including Netflix's Ted Sarandos, he's the head over there, Disney's Bob Iger, Universal's Donna Langley, and Warner Brothers Discovery's David Zasloff. They were all in the same room with Ellen Stutzman, the Writers Guild of America's chief negotiator. Fingers crossed. Like a wolf closing in on its prey. That's how a then 25-year-old female Trump White House worker described Rudy Giuliani sexually assaulting her. Yep, just when things couldn't get any worse for Rudy Giuliani... A top White House staffer now accuses Rudy Giuliani, America's mayor, of molesting her on January 6. Her name is Cassidy Hutchinson, and if you watched any of the January 6 hearings last year, you would know she's an American hero, truly an American hero. Hutchinson worked for Trump's White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows. She was called to testify before the January 6 committee last year. And so, as he often does, Donald Trump provided her with free legal counsel, an attorney named Stefan Pasentino, who served as the top ethics attorney inside the Trump White House. Well, after he left the Trump White House, he was on retainer with Trump's Save America PAC, and he provided free legal counsel to people like Cassidy Hutchinson when they were called before the committee. Remember, this guy's name is Stefan Pasentino. And when Trump was in the White House, Stefan Pasentino was one of Trump's top ethics attorneys inside the White House. OK, now it's last year. Biden's president, Stefan Pasentino, is providing free legal advice, counsel to people like Cassidy Hutchinson when she's called before the January 6th committee. And he started giving her advice for free. And Cassidy Hutchinson said, you know what? I'm going to need a different lawyer. According to Cassidy Hutchinson, Pasentino, remember, he is the ethics counsel in the White House when Trump was there. Pasentino, according to Cassidy Hutchinson, told her to tell the January 6th committee that she didn't recall certain things. And then Pasentino, according to Cassidy Hutchinson, Pasentino suggested uh, that there would be lucrative jobs in, quote unquote, Trump world if she played ball. 
Cassidy Hutchinson said, you know what, I better get a different attorney. And she became one of the star witnesses during the January 6th hearings who implicated her boss, Mark Meadows. She implicated Donald Trump. And of course, Rudy Giuliani, who she now accuses in her new book of assaulting her backstage on January 6th. Now, if you recall, Rudy Giuliani and attorney John Eastman, both of whom are co-defendants down in Fulton County as part of that racketeering trial. John Eastman was the attorney who wrote the memos outlining why Mike Pence could decertify the election. And he wrote the memos organizing the false elector scheme. Well, Rudy Giuliani and attorney John Eastman both spoke on the ellipse on January 6th, warming up the heavily armed crowd for the big Stop the Steal rally. They warmed up the crowd for Donald Trump, who then took the staged stage and urged his armed supporters to storm the Capitol. Now, Cassidy Hutchinson was Mark Meadows' assistant at the time. She was there backstage, and she writes in her new book, that after Eastman and Giuliani spoke, they were all backstage in a white tent where Giuliani, quote, put his hand under my blazer, then my skirt. She said while this assault was going on, the attorney John Eastman watched and then flashed a leering grin. She writes of Rudy Giuliani's sexual assault, quote, I feel his frozen fingers trail up my thigh. He tilts his chin up. The whites of his eyes look jaundiced. My eyes dart to John Eastman, who flashes a leering grin. Cassidy Hutchinson goes on to write, I fight against the tension in my muscles and recoil from Rudy's grip filled with rage. Rudy Giuliani is currently facing a $10 million lawsuit from a former female employee who accuses him of both wage theft and rape. Meanwhile, Rudy Giuliani was told on Wednesday that a trial date has been set to determine how much he must pay Fulton County election workers Ruby Freeman and Wandrea Shea Moss. If you remember, Giuliani lost their defamation lawsuit when he refused to turn over documents during the discovery phase of the trial. So he's lost that case. The judge in the trial has set December 11th as the date Rudy will go before a jury to determine how much he must pay this mother and daughter for the damages he caused in their life by spreading lies about them, feeding Biden ballots into the machines, which they weren't doing. Earlier this week, Rudy was sued by one of his attorneys for nearly $1.4 million in unpaid legal fees. This is the mop up for September 21st, 2023. And as usual, I stand or sit corrected. It's not summer. It's not the end of summer. Well, it's not even close. I, I've been told that the autumn solstice starts this Saturday. I, for some reason, I thought it was September 21st. And 
today would be the first day of autumn, but they they delayed. I guess autumn isn't ready. Like, so they've delayed it by two days. I don't understand why. And if you're watching in Australia, it's the first day of spring. How, so what do you celebrate Christmas? What Christmas is is during the summer? Whatever. As Kevin McCarthy is negotiating with members of the far right Freedom Caucus to avoid a government shutdown on September 30th, we're looking at a government shutdown and it's appearing to be likely uh, uh, September 30th. As this government looks like it's about to shut down, Donald Trump took to social media on Wednesday and ordered McCarthy and House Republicans to refuse any budget deal unless it includes defunding special counsel Jack Smith's investigation into Donald Trump's crimes. So far, Jack Smith has handed down two sets of indictments for Trump, one in Washington, D.C. over Trump's election interference and one in a Miami courtroom for Trump's mishandling of classified documents. He's scared. Rolling Stone magazine reports that it is slowly dawning on Donald Trump he's probably heading to prison. According to sources, Trump, when talking to his lawyers, and there are many, when Trump talks to his lawyers now, he has begun to ask them what kind of prison they think he might end up in. And he keeps asking if they're going to give him an orange jumpsuit to wear. This is in Rolling Stone magazine. He wants to know, seriously, if he's going to have an orange jumpsuit in prison. I guess since a tanning bed will be out of the question, he wants something that's orange. During his big Meet the Press interview on Sunday, Trump was asked if he was worried about ending up in prison, and Trump said he doesn't think about it. Well, apparently he lied. He does think about it. He lied on Meet the Press. Imagine that, Donald Trump lying on Meet the Press. Who would have ever guessed that he would lie on Meet the Press? Rolling Stone reports that Trump insiders say they have never seen the former president this scared. They also confirm what most of us already figured out, and that is Trump is running for president again to stay out of prison. Trump currently faces 91 criminal charges in four separate trials, Miami, Manhattan, Washington, D.C., and Fulton County, Georgia. Let that think, let that sink in for a second. He's got four criminal trials going on in Manhattan, Miami, Washington, D.C., Fulton County, Georgia. The civil lawsuit starts in October. He's being sued by the New York State Attorney General, Letitia James. That's a civil lawsuit for fraud. And he's got the E. Jean Carroll defamation lawsuit, part two, coming up. That starts on uh, when the Iowa caucuses gather. Uh, yeah, E. Jean Carroll's second defamation trial starts the day of the Iowa caucuses. And New York Magazine reports that Trump's rally in Dubuque, Iowa, on Tuesday was sparsely attended with the arena barely half full. 
So it's hard to get a read on what Iowa Republicans are thinking. While Trump still leads in the polls, the polls don't mean anything. I like to report the polls, and most of my listeners write, and they go, who cares what the polls say? They're always wrong. But they're, they, are, they can be leading indicators. So Trump is leading in the polls in Iowa, but there is a huge and somewhat quiet evangelical component to all this in Iowa. They show up to the caucuses traditionally and then surprise everyone. In 2012, they surprised everyone by helping Rick Santorum beat Romney in 2012. And in 2016, they surprised everybody. They gave it to Ted Cruz. So there, there is a wild card in Iowa, and it's the evangelical community. And Trump, in the past week, may have hurt himself with the evangelicals. Now, on Meet the Press, as well as during several speeches, Trump, in the past week, has come out against an abortion ban after six weeks. Not good for the evangelical vote. Trump has also publicly scolded Republicans and warned them, stop talking about abortion. Stop talking about it. It's not a winning message. Stop telling people you're against abortion. That's not how you win. He said, and he says this in public, he said the Supreme Court's decision last year to overturn Roe v. Wade was the reason Republicans did so poorly in last year's midterms. That's where they barely won back the House by five seats. They should have gotten a lot more. And they failed to win back the Senate. And Trump says the Republicans did poorly in last year's midterms because his Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. It's the story of the dog catching the car. Now, it makes me wonder how big a mistake Trump made, because he does have impulse control issues. And is he off his game? Why so early in the primary season would he be talking abortion, talking, giving a moderate position uh, on abortion so early in the game? Has he forgotten that right now he's not running for president? He's running for the nomination for president. And that's different. He's running specifically to win in Iowa. If he doesn't win in Iowa, then he's got to win New Hampshire and then South Carolina. And, you know, to win Republicans early on, traditionally, you have to run hard to the right and lie to them. And you say that you oppose abortion with no exceptions. You're you're playing to the Republican base right now. There's no reason here. This is just hardcore Republican misogyny. That's how you get the nomination. Then when you get the nomination, you stop talking about abortion while quietly signaling that you're a little more towards the center on that issue to try to hive off some Democratic centrists, right? So I don't know why Donald Trump concerned himself with the national campaign so early. He's running for the nomination. He needs to win Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. He he needs right now to remain 
further to the right than anybody else who's challenging him. And it looks like he made a mistake. He's opened himself up to attacks from candidates like Ron DeSantis, who, while sinking in the national polls and New Hampshire, uh, he is presenting himself to the evangelicals in Iowa as the true pro-life candidate. This week, Tony Perkins from the Family Research Council went after Trump. He called Trump's position on abortion unacceptable. Again, Trump has to win Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina, and he needs the evangelical vote in Iowa. And while Trump is leading in the polls, Iowa is five months away, and so is Trump. Trump is like five light years away from Iowa. Of all the candidates, Trump's spending the least amount of time in Iowa because he's distracted by his legal problems. Picture this. If Trump loses Iowa, he still has a chance in New Hampshire. But then he's got to go down to South Carolina, and that's where he can really start looking vulnerable if he doesn't have the evangelicals behind him. So what happens if Trump loses an early primary or Iowa? It's not inconceivable. Will he claim election fraud? Now, when he lost Iowa in 2016, that was the very first thing he said. Trump lost to Ted Cruz in Iowa in 2016. The first thing out of his mouth was election fraud. So is Trump right now capable of accepting defeat in, say, South Carolina or anywhere else without claiming election fraud? It would be suicidal for him to attack election officials in a Republican primary. But he's gotten sicker. I mean, he's disturbed. He's always been disturbed. He doesn't look well. He's making mistakes. And try to imagine him gracefully accepting a defeat in a primary without attacking the party whose nomination he's seeking. Try to imagine Donald Trump accusing his own party of doing to him what he accused Biden and the Democrats of doing to him. How would that play with the GOP? Do they finally come to their senses? The answer is no. I don't think they do. They cower in the corner and do what they're told because Trump is a mobster and they fear for their physical safety. They know he is physically dangerous, but he still can't force them to vote for him. So I think it's going to be an interesting Republican primary season. You're going to see a lot of people giving full-throated endorsements to Trump while secretly voting for somebody else. And that's why the polls are not accurate, because Republicans who talk to pollsters are convinced they're part of the deep, dark state, that their phone is being tapped. I suspect a lot of the people who say they're voting for Trump are terrified that somebody is writing down who's with Trump and who's against him. But we still have a secret ballot. I suspect 
that these Republican primaries are going to be a lot more interesting. I suspect. I've been wrong. I said that Chris Christie would be leading in the polls by now, and I was gravely wrong on that. But I suspect Trump, I think the polls are telling us a different story because I think a lot of Republicans figure this is the deep, dark state trying to figure out if I'm with Trump or against him. So perhaps there's some kind of filtration system in the Republican Party that will keep Trump from either getting the Republican nomination or if he does get it, uh, he'll be so deeply wounded by the political process, he will limp into the general election and go down hard. I don't think he's got his mental faculties anymore. I think he's beginning to lose his grip. He's misspeaking more and more. And I'm talking about the wear and tear that the political process has played on his brain. Don't forget, he's got four criminal trials next year. And that takes up a lot of room in an old man's head. He's running for president. He's trying to outmaneuver these candidates while at the same time he's got to be hands on with four sets of criminal lawyers. That's a level of multitasking that requires superhuman strength. And while Trump is indefatigable, he's also lazy. He's intellectually lazy, physically lazy, and he relies mostly on his gut. And his gut seems to be failing him lately. It served him well in the past. This time, it's a lot different. His gut is not advising him properly. He is in his late 70s. No man in his late 70s can, can endure what he's being put through. We all know these type of men, right? They're bulls. They are bulls. But they drop hard. One minute, they're bench pressing the entire world. And the next day, they're wrapped in a blanket, staring out at the ocean, covered in drool. We can only pray, can't we? Donald Trump's son's Twitter account, Don Jr.'s Twitter account, was temporarily hacked on Tuesday. Followers of the former president's imbecile. They knew something seemed off when Don Jr.'s tweets suddenly appeared grammatically correct and didn't reek of Ritalin and meth. Merrick Garland would be sitting on the Supreme Court today, along with three other justices picked by Hillary Clinton, had she won in 2016. Cannot stress this enough. I'm going to be saying this a lot heading into the general election. If Hillary Clinton won in 2016, she would have picked four Supreme Court justices. And one of those justices would have been Merrick Garland. Now, if you recall, after far-right extremist Antonin Scalia died, then-president, this was 2016, then-president Obama nominated Merrick Garland to sit on the Supreme Court. But uh, it's the Senate that approved Supreme Court justices, and Republicans were in charge of the Senate at the time. Mitch McConnell was the Senate majority leader back then. 
And he declared it would be inappropriate to bring a vote to uh, the Supreme Court, vote on the Supreme Court during an election year. He just made this up. He said, it's inappropriate to pick a Supreme Court justice during an election year. And so America was left with only eight justices on the Supreme Court until Donald Trump was elected. And then he appointed Gorsuch. Now, that's a Democrat. That's a Democratic seat. Gorsuch, that is Merrick Garland's seat. Scalia died in 2016. McConnell held up the appointment until after the election. And then, as you all know, in 2020, in an election year in 2020, McConnell got Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court with only weeks to spare before Trump lost to Biden. So those are two justices, two ultra right wing extremist justices, Gorsuch and Barrett, who are sitting on the court because of Mitch McConnell's maneuvers lies, and parliamentary bullshit. It was inappropriate, said McConnell, to allow Obama to put a justice on the court during an election year. But it was perfectly appropriate when Trump was president. So what does that tell you? It tells you Republicans have zero principles. This is about winning. Say and do whatever it takes to win. You cannot argue with Republicans. They have no principles. All they understand is defeat, unless they're Trump and his supporters, in which case they don't even understand defeat. You can only win and win hard. And that's what we have to do. We have to beat them because Arguing with them doesn't work. They have no principles. Merrick Garland should be on the court, along with three other justices appointed by Hillary Clinton. So instead, Joe Biden, when he became president, named Merrick Garland as our attorney general. And he's turning out, Merrick Garland is turning out to be an unsung hero. I was wrong. I was wrong about Merrick Garland. Uh, during Biden's first year in office, if you've been listening to this show for a long time, you would know that I pounded the table here. And most of my guests did as well. We were demanding to know what was taking Garland so long to prosecute Trump and the January Sixers. I was wrong. Merrick Garland knew exactly what he was doing. Garland went First, after the low-hanging fruit, because the FBI wouldn't go after Trump during Biden's first year in office. The FBI said it would be inappropriate for us to start going after Donald Trump over January 6th. After a year, they finally began investigating Trump's role in January 6th. So Garland's Justice Department, the first year, charged nearly 1,000 January Sixers, and then he slowly worked his way up the food chain until he was zeroing in on Trump's White House. And then he wisely appointed Jack Smith last year as the special counsel to take it from there. Now, the jury is still out, literally. And I don't know how this ends, but I was wrong about Merrick Garland. I was impatient 
And I think Merrick Garland has done a terrific job. And I, like I just said, I don't know how this ends. But if we do dodge the bullet and Trump doesn't get nominated, if he's just worn down by these four criminal trials and he can't get the nomination because he's just so distracted, or if he does get the nomination but loses to Biden in the general election, that will be in no small part because of Merrick Garland slowly and methodically wearing Trump and his dangerous imbeciles down, locking them up. He's locked up a lot of bad hombres, as Donald Trump would say. Maybe Mitch McConnell did us all a favor back in 2016 by not allowing Merrick Garland to sit on the court. Maybe we needed Merrick Garland running the Justice Department right now. Maybe the crown always finds the right head, as Shakespeare said. Now, I'm sure Merrick Garland would have preferred the Supreme Court pondering legal issues of heft like overturning Citizens United. Instead, on Wednesday, he had to testify before the House Judiciary Committee and ponder questions like this, this chestnut from New Jersey Republican Jeff Van Drew. I ask you, do you agree that traditional Catholics are violent extremists? That's, yes, that is the pressing issue of the day. Are traditional Catholics violent extremists. Or this one from Wisconsin Republican Tommy Tiffany. Tommy Tiffany, that's his name. Republican Congressman Tommy Tiffany had this important question to ask Merrick Garland. Do you support more crime? Do I support more crime? Yeah. No, I don't. Good. And we have you on record, and you remember you're under oath. And he says he does not support more crime. Any other questions, Congressman Tommy Tiffany? There's a world naked bike ride in Madison, Wisconsin, just a couple months ago. There's a world naked bike ride in Madison, Wisconsin. Continue, Tom Tiffany. This sounds very interesting. Pedaling around Madison, Wisconsin naked. Yes. Continue. And I sent you a letter two months ago asking if you had a problem with that. Right, because Merrick Garland has nothing better to do as the attorney general of the United States. He's dealing with the greatest threat to democracy since World War II, and he just doesn't seem to have the time to address the issue of naked people riding bicycles in Madison, Wisconsin. But please continue Republican Tom Tiffany. Do you think that's a problem? And why did you not answer our letter from two months ago? I'm sorry, I'll have to get uh, asked the Office of Legislative Affairs to get back to you about this. Does it typically take two months to be able to answer questions like this? It sounds like you're asking about a question about state and local law enforcement. This is this. I see a lot of myself in Congressman Tommy Tiffany of Wisconsin. This is the kind of thing, like, if I were a little demented and trying to impress people in Wisconsin, I go to my porch and there are all these middle-aged 
flabby people riding naked on their bicycles, I would say to the people around me, I am going to call. I'm a United States congressman and I am going to write a letter to Merrick Garland and get all these naked people rounded up and arrested. This is this is something I would do. I, I relate to Tommy Tiffany. Here is the moment where Tommy Tiffany realizes he's a complete abject zero and failure as both a man and a Republican. We get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of letters. Um, I'll ask the Office of Legislative Affairs where that letter is. State and law, local law enforcement would not act. We were hoping you would. It's obvious you're not. I yield. We were. <laughs> so he called. There were people riding bikes naked. And Tommy Tiffany of Wisconsin called the police chief and they said, leave me alone. And I'm the, he made a federal case out of it. And the attorney general said, no, no, you're nothing. You're nothing. So what's going on inside the brain of a Republican? Well, I think that can be answered best by turning to Republican Congresswoman from Indiana, Victoria Sparts. Have you met Victoria Sparts? She's new. She came to Washington in 2021. It's her first term in office. She's a Republican from Indiana who was born in Ukraine, and she is a diehard conservative. She hates Kevin McCarthy, and she's a loyal Republican, but she's very, very far to the right of Kevin McCarthy. I don't think she's a member of the Freedom Caucus. I think she's got her own little caucus going on. Uh, she sits on the House Judiciary Committee and uh, she got to grill Attorney General Merrick Garland on Wednesday. And I don't think there's a single Republican in Washington, D.C. who can articulate what Republicans are thinking as well as Victoria Sparks can. She succinctly and clearly spells out what diehard Republicans think about January 6th, Hunter Biden and American democracy. Nobody does it better than Congresswoman, Congresswoman Victoria Sparks. This is a glimpse into the Republican mind. Here she is taking three minutes to ask our attorney general a question. Three minutes for one question, but contained within this question is the entire Republican universe, everything you need to know about their wants and desires. Pay attention, okay? Some people came on January 6th. There probably were some people that came on January 6th here, you know, that had bad intent. But a lot of good Americans from my district came here because they are sick and tired of this government not serving them. They came with strollers and the kids, and there was chaotic situation because the proper security wasn't provided. That's a question that was answered really why. Why we debated for 45 minutes on the floor and didn't stop the debate after the people broke in into the Capitol. But these people came, they were throwing the smoke bombs into the crowd with strollers with kids. People were showed up, you know, FBI agent to people's houses. You had in my district, in my town, FBI phone numbers all over the district. Please call. Call that. People are truly afraid. I just want to make sure if you're not aware that you are 
And this is a big problem when people are afraid of their own government. And I'll share some other things. We're talking about justice system. I don't question, you're probably not a bad person. I don't know you, but well, I'll tell you, you're in charge of the department. And people right now feel, you know, I look at Durham report and I call on the fights of violations of queries of millions of Americans, right? It's like KGB, but when I read Durham reports, we have this, you have a nice, you know, playbook. First, let's have a special counsel, and then you don't have to answer any questions here. Then, let's extend slow walk investigation on Hillary Clinton, on Hunter, everything is slow walk. We were very quick on Donald Trump, but you were very slow walk. Then, by the time, you know, that investigation ended, statute of limitation expired, and all of your agents need to be tested for amnesia. No one recalls anything. Okay, you probably should have as part of your hiring policy. So no one held accountable, which was egregious what happened, you know, in that report. When I read with them, I can't believe it happened in the United States of America. This is my frustration. I'll be honest with you. Then it's very interesting, you know, regardless what it is, even people in Obama administration raise concerns. You know, how can President Sands be serving on, you know, corrupt Ukrainian oligarchs. Do you understand that it actually can undermine the one Ukrainian effort and policy? I think these concerns were raised. The Obama administration didn't do anything about it. These people are dying right now and Americans don't trust this president. So you, I want to ask you one thing, you know, as you, you know, I don't need answer because I know you're not going to, but I think you're probably good American and you care. And a lot of these people are so afraid they cover up this stuff, I think, in your department because they're embarrassed that what we became as a country to say that what our Department of Justice became. That allows Russians to do propaganda in Chinese. It allows them to destabilize our country. That is danger to our republic. It is significant danger. And I have just one more question for you. You know, I mean, I agree on corporate crimes and FISA stuff, even with Democrats, that we need to do a better job. One more question for you. Do you believe that, you know, you talk about rights to vote, but do you believe that only U.S. citizens should be voting in this election and doing anything to make sure that only eligible people vote in elections? Yes and yes. Okay, I would like to see that what you do. Thank you. That is how every woman sounds to Rudy Giuliani. Doesn't matter where you're from. That's how Rudy Giuliani hears every woman. That was just if I were Merrick Garland, I would have said, Mr. Chairman, do you have that noose you brought for Mike Pence on January 6th lying around? Because I just want to hang myself right now. That is a United States Congresswoman. Her name is uh, Victoria Sparts, and uh, she is now going to be one of the stars of this show. I've been collecting more and more <laughs> of her videos. We're going to be seeing a lot. More of Victoria Sparts. And with that, I yield. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak.